You're listening to the Alternative Investor Mastermind, where we do a deep dive on alternative investment opportunities and the lifestyle it can create. Join Jack Krupe as he presents actionable tips and tricks in doing passive real estate away from mainstream strategies. Go beyond the usual fix and flips and try less explored yet rewarding investing ventures from multifamily properties, mobile homes to Bitcoin mining. Do not miss this opportunity to escape traditional assets and finally create wealth without Wall Street. Now your host, Jack. No discussions in the podcast are meant as an offer to sell or a solicitation for an offer to buy any security. All investments should be done after careful review and consideration of the investment documents and disclosures. Contents discussed in the podcast are not meant to be construed as any investment, tax, or legal advice. Individuals should always consult his or her own professional advisors for any investment decisions. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Alternative Investor Mastermind. I have a great guest today, Tom Dunkel. I've known Tom probably almost 15 years. We've done business across a couple different real estate asset classes. So really excited to have Tom on to talk about their venture in self-storage. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, Jack, my friend. It's great to be with you. And it was fun spending a couple of days with you in Miami recently. Yeah, it was a great time. I had a couple small world moments. You were certainly the biggest one of just great minds thinking alike and reconnecting at these events. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background and go into how we knew each other back in the day as well and what you're up to now. <laughs> sure. I'll try to keep it brief. I'm 54 now, so my history is getting longer and longer. So I can go on a little too long sometimes. I was a corporate guy that had my MBA in tax. So I got into mergers and acquisitions and capital raising corporate finance when I was in the corporate world. But I always wanted to do something on my own. And so 2006, my timing wasn't great, but I ended up jumping out of corporate life and going into entrepreneurial life, into real estate. And here I thought things were going to be easy. I've got an MBA from a great school. I had a training from some fantastic people. I cut my teeth doing deals. I was like, ah, this is no problem. I'm going to be able to rock and roll my own business. It's going to be great. And then proceeded to get my ass kicked for the next few years as the world crumbled through the real estate crisis. So I was like, okay, this is not going to be easy. I better start getting around the right people and learning and really tightening things up because I didn't have... At the time what I needed to make it happen. But fast forward, here we are 16, going on 17 years later, I ended up going into the distressed mortgage note business, Jack, which where you and I initially connected. I partnered up with Joe Downs and we started a company called US Mortgage Resolution, which still exists today. Purchased going on, geez, got to be going on 900 million or so of distressed second mortgages, unpaid principal balance. We've raised a ton of money in that business. We've made good money in that business, but it was always very lumpy. And so we were along the way, we were looking at different things to help us smooth out our business and our cash flow, because from one year to the next, we could have these wild swings in income and not really sure like where the next dollar was going to come from. We did look at doing like some residential fix and flips. We had a hard money lending company. Actually, we tried to do that twice and <laughs> failed both times. We had a title company for a little while that didn't quite work out. We did start picking up some vacation rentals and Airbnbs, and those were really hot during COVID time. And that portfolio still exists. But what we've really fallen in love with for the last few years is self-storage. We started looking at storage maybe 2017, 2018 timeframe, but having had some experience at that point in, in building a business and growing a business, we didn't jump right into it. So we went out and we got educated. We joined Mastermind Group for just for self-storage, got ourselves around some of the best and brightest in the country. And then we started 
putting our team together because Joe and I have pretty solid finance and deal backgrounds, underwriting, that kind of thing. But we weren't great at kind of the front end, filling the funnel, reaching out to the storage owners. So that's where our partner, Tim Kane, came in because that's where his expertise lies. So we partnered up with Tim. And then the last piece of the puzzle was operations. We didn't really know how to operate a self-storage facility once we bought it. So we brought in Catherine East, who's an expert in the self-storage operations and management space for 16 years. And so we made her part of our team. And so that gave us the confidence, Jack, to then be able to really go out of the marketplace and make realistic offers. Because up to that point, we were making like these low ball offers that thank God none of them got accepted because we would have been like, what do we do now? But since we got the team together... We were able to make like realistic offers. And so we bought our first facility in 2020. We were able to quickly add value to that facility and exit it 18 months later. Then we bought our second facility in January of 2021. And we proceeded to buy three more that year. We've purchased four so far in 2022. We actually have four in the pipeline to close before the end of the year. So we're really going to be cranking. Really excited about our team and where we're at in the self-storage industry right now. Kudos to you for, I won't say making a pivot, but making an expansion. And that's something that I've done and I've talked a lot about over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I still get calls from people in the note industry asking me if I have loans available. And it seems like a lot of people, at least before the recent moves in interest rates, there just wasn't a lot of inventory or the, the inventory there was extremely lumpy. And right. pricing, at least I came from the institutional side of things by the end of my tenure in pricing. I mean, performing loans are pricing at close to par before interest rates moved. So yeah. it was getting very tough for a non-institutional investor to really to only focus 100% on the distressed mortgages. Kudos to you for that. And I'm excited for you guys. You mentioned value add. Value add is on the multifamily space, which I'm more heavily involved in, is usually renovating apartments, raising rents, lowering expenses. What is value add in self-storage? Sure. Yeah, good question. And it does differ a little bit from multifamily. And just a, a little asterisk there is that I've actually been a passive investor in multifamily deals since 2013. So I know that space uh, pretty well. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Jack. In the multifamily space, you're changing out the Formica for the granite. You're changing out lighting package, doing the those kinds of cosmetic upgrades, et cetera. Storage is different. At the end of the day, we have metal boxes with concrete floors and roll-up doors. When we talk about value add, it's really mostly around the op operations of the facility because our turnaround process is pretty much done with a broom. When someone leaves a unit, we're able to go in there and if they did it right, and of course they don't always do it, we'll be able to just sweep out that unit and get it back up for rent sometimes that same day, especially if it's a market where there's high demand. We could have a unit emptied out in the morning and rented that afternoon. So there's definitely a higher velocity to the turnaround process in storage, which adds to our value add there. But you'd be surprised how low some of the rates are that some of these mom and pop storage facilities are charging. We're about to close on a deal next month where the owner is 39% below market with his rates. And he's aware that he's below market. But he's 83 years old. He knows most of his customers. He doesn't want to 
piss him off. He likes to spend his time at the golf course, not marketing and trying to get new customers into his facility. And he's happy with the amount of money coming in every month. It's mailbox money. And he's got it pretty well dialed in at this point because he knows what his taxes, insurance, maintenance, utilities, et cetera. He knows what those are month to month. So he's making the money he wants to rock the boat. So meanwhile, especially during COVID, storage became very popular as a lot of families had to turn their spare bedroom into an office. There's a lot of drivers pushing up the rents in many markets. Meanwhile, rents are going up like this and he's down here. It doesn't take too long for him to be way out of line as far as where the market is. So that's Jack, probably our biggest value at. It's not rocket science. It doesn't take a lot of research and analysis, even though we do that with a fine tooth comb in the markets where we are. It's just something that as a professional organization, that's what we do. We're not afraid to have a little bit of turnover in the units. We're not afraid to really push the envelope there so that we are at or near the top of the market with our rates. Yeah, I think there's a saying, if you have 100% occupancy, your rents are probably too low. That goes for multi and storage. Yeah, exactly. And hotels and airplanes. Yeah, it's all yeah. that. Yes, yeah, we're totally full. We're not charging enough for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Self-storage had a reputation. Even after 2008, it was really one of the most recession-resistant classes. In 2008, people were losing their houses. They needed to take their stuff and put it into storage. It's largely been resilient yeah. pretty much every crisis I can remember since I've been around. What can go wrong and what do you guys do to you know, when you're underwriting? Like, what are some pitfalls you look for or things you try to avoid? Yeah, sure. Just to highlight what you just said about the resiliency, for the past 40 years, storage occupancy across the country has gently meandered between 80 and 90%. So it really generally is a very consistent income generating asset class for sure. But one of the things we do when we're looking at a facility is, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we do really dial into the market because that's one thing that can really send your facility in a bad way is going to be if there's new storage facility coming online. If you didn't know that public storage or extra space or CubeSmart, one of those big REITs is putting in 120,000 square foot, brand new shiny facility in your market, you know, that is something that can really suck a lot of the demand out of the market and away from your facility. So we certainly make sure to look at that. And we do have databases and things we subscribe to just so we can make sure we see what is the pipeline of developments looking. So we want to make sure we're steering clear of a market where it either is oversupplied or it might become oversupplied. On the flip side, we look at things like housing starts. If the market is at equilibrium right now, but there aren't any storage facilities coming online, but there are a ton of multifamily or other residential projects coming online in that one, three, and five mile radius, then it, we look at that as a really a strong point and something that points to a deal that could work out really well. Of course, we're looking in southeastern PA, or Pennsylvania, that's where we are, southeastern United States, where the demographics are just people are moving there. Populations are growing, jobs are growing, big infrastructure investments going in the southeast. So we're finding some really nice looking markets down there. What I recall, there's a pretty high percentage of mom and pop owners that are the typical sellers. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's one of the things we really like about storage is most people think that the big guys, public storage, extra space, CubeSmart, that they are really the dominant forces in the market, but they really aren't. They control about 25, 26, 27% of the overall market. 
And, and then there's another layer of kind of the larger regional and more sophisticated players. 60 plus percent of the market is still moms and pops that are just like, they have one, maybe two locations. And again, they're not really running it like a business. It's like a side thing. They get their mailbox money and they're not really pushing rents or doing marketing. You know, they're not on Google. A lot of them don't have websites. So that's one of the things we're really excited about as we continue to grow. We have some lofty goals here moving forward is there are a lot of moms and pops out there that uh, where we can buy their facility and create a lot of value. So how does someone get involved? We're, I have a lot of conversations with, I think, a vast majority of investors. Other, they either think just buy a REIT or just the stock market and traditional investments, or they have to go in and buy a single family house themselves, or they think they can do it. It's not that difficult to end up creating yourself. You want to do it for passive income and you end up creating a job that ends up harder than your regular job. So how does somebody get involved passively in buying a multi-million dollar storage facility? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's certainly part of our mission is to get out there and help passive investors create wealth for them. But yeah, you're right. It's If you're out there as a real estate investor, you're trying to buy a self-storage facility, it's, it is super competitive. Our own internal acquisition program is really robust. We use virtual assistants who are calling all the facilities in our markets. We're doing direct mail. So we have a whole pretty sophisticated system. So if a single investor is going up against Bellrose, not like we're the biggest, baddest in the market, we have a solid acquisition program. And then it goes to underwriting. We have a whole sophisticated underwriting program and we have lenders lined up and equity investors lined up. We, I think in that regard, there's we certainly have a competitive advantage over like a single real estate investor. So what those folks should do is they should look for an experienced sponsor like Bellrose Storage Group. And that's really what we're here to do. They actually can't see it, but on my wall here in my office and everybody at Bellrose on on the wall in their office, we have our company purpose on there. And just it's pretty long, but the gist of it is that we want to touch a lot of people. We want our internal employees to grow and be awesome and very well financially educated and financially well-off people. We also want everyone else that we touch to be financially well-off. And we want them to use our expertise to help them reach their financial freedom goals. And we talk a lot about the security and the income and growth of the offerings that we provide. Of course, it's a real asset, right? So it, it provides security for folks who are maybe concerned about the upcoming economy. What's that going to look like? I lived through the internet bubble. <laughs> so some of those companies, crypto, a bit of a flashback to me to the internet bubble era where there's just so much hype around it, but there's no there. And so it makes me a little concerned about all the folks that are flocking to make a try to make a quick buck in crypto. We offer hard assets and then these assets are throwing off income, right? So our cash flow payments to our investors can be a six, eight, 10% annualized each year. And then growth, right? Everybody knows that real estate goes up over time. There might be bumps in the road from time to time, but I'll take those bumps in the road over the Wall Street, the casino bumps in the road any day of the week. So we take pride in putting these great offerings out to our investor community. And we're trying actively to grow that community. It's really one of our primary focuses right now, which is why, Jack, we've joined the Raise Masters group. We want to get out there and really help to build our list and get the investors in that we can really help out. So we have these great, fully vetted, fully underwritten offerings that we put out from time to time. And it makes us feel good when our investors come back and they come back deal after deal. They'll 
bring more money. They'll bring their friends. And that's real great evidence that we're doing a good job for our investors. Yeah, absolutely. What's great about this business is it is, they say, pretty often real estate's a team sport. Some may say we're competing, but we're not in the self-storage business, but we're in the alternative investment business. But what's great is we also Mm -hmm. run a diversified fund and our fund is the type of fund that will invest in your types of offerings. So if someone's looking for specifically a storage operator, great. You guys are great. I highly recommend you guys. And if you want a broader exposure to multifamily and storage and other asset classes, you could actually invest through JCAM, which then in turn allocates money to your fund as well as some other multifamily and alternative assets. That's a great way to create win-win between our groups. Yeah, 100%. Whether it's directly one of our investors or through one of your funds, we just want to help people honestly get out of Wall Street. A little bit more about my history is that I used to work for publicly traded companies. I worked for three publicly traded companies in their finance organizations. And in fact, a couple of those companies, I was in charge of writing the financial analysis that went into the quarterly and the annual reports. And so I had to describe what was going on in the company in very plain terms. I try to do that best I could, but I have to tell you, and this is horrible to say, but when I would turn in my draft, the chief financial officer and then the chief executive officer for them to review it, they would always spin it, make it sound maybe better, or they would actually try to confuse things and make it sound like just incomprehensible. And so investors, of course, can't make any sense of what ultimately was published. And that always made me feel like, what the heck are we doing? And that always made me feel bad. And not only that, by the time a retail investor even gets that information, it's two, three months old. And all the professionals, they already have that information if the company's followed by any Wall Street analysts. So it's a very uneven playing field for retail investors. So that was one of the reasons I just really wanted to get out and do, a, I felt I could do a better job as an alternative investing expert, if you will, for those folks that are truly looking to build wealth and protect their wealth and get some passive income going. Absolutely. That was great. I'm glad you did. We're in the fourth quarter here of 2022, and we should talk about taxes as well, because it's the one thing we hadn't touched on yet. The taxes are way more advantageous in private real estate offerings and syndications than they are for Mm -hmm. REITs, especially. I was trying to Google what the average yield... Is there a publicly traded REIT for the storage industry? That you know of, or just- oh sure, yeah, public storage, extra space, and Cube Smart are the big publicly traded REITs out there. If you're a high earning professional, those REITs are actually not qualified dividends. So I believe, and again, this is not tax advice, but I, I own some mm-hmm. in very small quantities myself over time, and they get right. taxed at I believe twenty nine point six percent because the REITs aren't first taxed at the corporate level. It passes through, and it's basically ordinary income with a small discount. I think I'd say you're getting a five or six percent dividend. You're really losing a third of that to taxes. How do things work on, on syndications when you actually own a piece of the syndication and the property itself through the syndication? Yeah, sure. It is a huge advantage to these kind of private real estate partnerships. What we do is we have a couple classes of membership interests as not to get too complicated, but the folks that are using self-directed qualified money from their either self-directed IRA or their self-directed 401k, they're not able to really take advantage of the taxes and specifically the depreciation deduction. So we have another class of shares, which is for investors that are using taxable accounts, and they are able to get the depreciation deductions. And so what 
that boils down to for an investor. And this is one of the things I love when I get my K1s, like for my multifamily deals or whatever, the K1s we send out for our self-storage deals is on the top, it'll say your net income or your real estate earnings could be negative. But you look down the other column, it shows you your distributions and that can be a big positive number. So in other words, you're getting cash, but you're paying taxes on a much lower, might even be a negative amount. So that's one of the beauties of investing in commercial real estate or lots of other kinds of real estate. Uncle Sam wants investors in real estate and there are incentives in place to get investment dollars in the real estate. And that's a big one. And the other thing is accelerated depreciation. So there are different components, like to a storage facility, it's not just one big facility. It can be broken down into its own little pieces, like the doors or the walls or the office or all these different things have their own depreciation schedules. And we can hire a professional to come in and do a cost segregation study. And they can tell us, oh yeah, that's not a 29-year asset. That's a seven-year asset. So you have seven years to depreciate that, which of course accelerates that depreciation. And some things Again, this is the, the government is incentivizing this kind of investment. Some things are even available for immediate depreciation, which you get a huge bonus depreciation and it really helps to drive that top number on your K1 even lower or even negative. So it, it's definitely a big advantage that I think a lot of investors don't quite understand and sometimes overlook. They should talk to their CPAs and get the proper information about that. It's a big advantage. Absolutely. As a fellow note investor too, and I know we've got <laughs> hopefully a lot of our fellow colleagues that we knew through the years are listening to this. I've been a real estate professional prior and then after 2000, pivoting into Wall Street, I'd somewhat forgot about the tax benefits and quickly remembered them when I started right. paying tax in New York. And I know you've had a, a couple of years where you had to stroke the government, probably a bigger check than you would have liked. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's tough on the distressed mortgage debt side because that interest income is typically ordinary. So yeah, that's rough, which is again, another reason why we just are really enjoying the self-storage space. Yeah, I think it's something for the note investors listening, it's something you should definitely expand into. There's room for continuing to do the distressed loan business as opportunities present themselves, but everyone should be more diverse and, and have multiple streams of income. And with inflation, it's also it's good to have assets that you could have smart leverage on as well. Because sometimes it's in an inflationary environment, it's good to also be a debtor in addition to owning debt. Everybody should take a deeper look at the self-storage space. Tom, do you have resources available? Is there an ebook or a guide or something for passive investors? Yeah, for sure. Folks would go to our website, which is bellrosestoragegroup.com. Hopefully, Jack, you can put that in the show notes. We actually have a resource there. We're getting ready to revamp it and do an updated version of it, but we call it Safe Investing. And it's really a due diligence framework for passive investors to really break down a lot of the barriers that they run into getting into alternative assets like multifamily, self-storage, lending, et cetera. And SAFE is an acronym. It stands for sponsor. So the book has all kinds of questions you need to ask about your sponsor. A is for asset. What is it that you're actually investing in? Again, back to the crypto and the internet bubble, I don't think a lot of those folks really understood what they are investing in, but self-storage, multifamily, those are pretty easy to understand. F is for the financials. What are the projections? Are they reasonable? That sort of thing. And then E is exit. How do you get out of this thing? You can't go to schwab.com and click and sell your position. 
in a Bellrose storage group deal, you have to be comfortable as an investor knowing that your money's going to be tied up for a couple, two, three, four, five years, depending on which deal you invest in. So that's a resource that's available. And really where that came from, Jack, is my personal experience over the years, having been an accredited investor since 2006. I've been, I've had the ups and downs. I've made the mistakes. I've made some good decisions and been in some really good deals, but I've also been in bad deals with bad sponsors. I've lost money. So I wanted to put this resource together so that someone who's busy, a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, who's, who wants to get into something passive, an alternative investment, but they just don't know how, I think it gives them a due diligence framework to say, okay, here are the questions you need to be asking. At any point, you get an answer from your sponsor or you do some research and it starts to not feel right. Just forget about that deal. Move on to the next one. There's always another deal to, to find out there. And in addition, at our website, folks can sign up on our investor portal. And that's where all the good stuff happens. We, that's where we post our offerings. That's where the private placement memorandum is and the investor deck and all of those documents. And it's also where our investors can drop in their banking information. They can get actually our distributions direct deposited into their account. And that's where our tax documents live. So they can share those documents with their VAs. Uh, but our investors seem to really like the portal. It's a very handy resource and keeps everything in one place. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing with the technology now. I remember 10, 15 years ago where they changed the rules. It was really tough to advertise. It was risky to run a fund unless you were in a country club and have enough rich friends that you could advertise a deal without really advertising a deal. But it's really expanded from just what I'd call country club deals to deals that the average credit investor can really get exposure. And I think a majority of people are underexposed to alternative assets. And I hesitate to even call one of my other guests on a prior podcast. He said he takes exception to real estate being called an alternative asset because it's really the original assets. So funny, Jack. I say the exact same thing. And I was just about to say that. I was just about to get on my soapbox because really, real estate is an alternative asset. Lending is an alternative asset. These things go back to biblical times. So it's ridiculous. What's really alternative are options and stocks and all the crypto. Talk about alternative crypto and all of that stuff to me is alternative <laughs> and derived from the financial engineering that goes on at these publicly traded companies. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Before we finish up, I got to ask, storage wars or auctions, does that happen <laughs> in any of the markets you're in? And we get a YouTube video of... No, look, there's certainly plenty of fun stories like our operations expert, Catherine East, like she's got amazing stories to share about her experience. But no, it's it, that's all just made for TV stuff. <laughs> just have to go to the auction website and you can buy these junk that they didn't pay to store. It's not as dramatic as all that. <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. With that, thanks for coming on one more time. Just uh, list, uh, just give us your website and any social media you wanted to, uh, to promote. We'll certainly put it in the show notes as well. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again, Jack. Yeah. I'm Tom Dunkel. I'm the chief investment officer at bellrosestoragegroup.com. And it's a B as in boy, E-L-R-O-S-E, storagegroup.com. And there you can see all the backgrounds, bios of our awesome team. I'm really super proud of the team that we put together. But yeah, the best way to reach me is be through there. And yeah, I'd love to field any questions that you have out there that you know might have popped up from our discussion today. I'm always happy to jump on a call or trade an email, what have you. So 
reach out. Yeah, that sounds great. I look forward to chatting again. We can talk shop all the time, especially <laughs> as, as this economy shifts and stuff. I'm sure there'll be more to talk about. Everyone who's listening to please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, Spotify, iTunes. We also do post these on YouTube as well. Please subscribe, give us a review and tune in again for the next episode. That's Thanks everybody. For this episode of Alternative Investor Mastermind. Now that you know the many alternative opportunities out there all up for the taking, you can finally become ultra connected and ultra wealthy. Get more valuable advice from the experts by subscribing to the show at alternativeinvestormastermind.com. Become a winner in the world of passive investing today in alternative investment strategies. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.